Hello, friends. Welcome to Kirk Your Enthusiasm. I'm continuing my off season of talking to people about their teams, and today I'm joined by the easily uh, the the coolest name we've had on the podcast, Jackson Gatlin. You may have heard him with uh, Nick and the guys over on Locked On. He does Locked On Rockets. Uh, he also does the Locked On NBA pod on Mondays and all sorts of Rockets related stuff. So you're you're literally the perfect guy to talk about Rockets with me. How you doing? I'm doing great, Kirk. I'm ready to uh, talk a little Houston Rockets, maybe talk a little Christian Wood as well, kind of prepare Mavericks fans for uh, what they're kind of getting themselves into with him. Well, guys, I'm unfortunately you're gonna have to wait to, a little bit later in the podcast to hear the Christian Wood stuff. I'm not gonna, not even gonna give you the minute mark. You're gonna have to listen to the whole show. Um, so you're probably gonna be third. This is gonna go up next week. I'm going on vacation. I'm recording with some of my friends, um, just about their teams, and so we've had we've discussed Lakers. We've done uh memphis grizzlies and now i'm i'm pivoting to to a rockets and hopefully get pelicans and maybe spurs but the spurs are very sad so there's not really much to say about the spurs the 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 rockets are a team that's kind of in um the really if if it's kind of feels like ground floor type stuff to where if you're looking to get interested in rockets basketball again now's a good time uh because the team has a couple of really spectacularly fun lottery picks and it's kind of the the season of no expectations but i'm interested to hear about the rockets offseason including the draft along with uh, what you think about the the team right now yeah so i mean you know i think you hit the nail on the head there kirk the, you know this rockets team has is two years removed now roughly from the james harden era and that first year was the transformational year you can't really count that as year one of the rebuild because they were still very much in flux there was that weird period of time where they were like sort of pseudo competitive for like 15 games or so with john wall victor oladipo and christian wood and you know then that team kind of fell apart when christian wood got injured and missed 17 games unfortunately and they they kind of made that hard pivot to being a lottery team and wound up getting the second overall pick in the draft which became jalen green and that kind of changed the trajectory of this rockets franchise to where it was like very clear very evident all right we're, you know, the, the Houston Rockets are going full scale rebuild. They're going to, you know, strip it down to the nuts and bolts and just try and build something up fresh from the ground up. And that led to a lot of question marks about guys like Christian Wood and, and what his future may have held in Houston. And, and that's why he's no longer a part of this Rockets team anymore. It's not because he doesn't have a lot of talent and, and a lot of you know, potential as a player. I, I still was very much a firm proponent of the idea that Christian Wood can contribute to winning basketball if put in the right situation, which is why I do think that the situation that he finds himself in now alongside Luka Doncic with the Dallas Mavericks could be almost the perfect situation for a big man of his talent level. Uh, but back to Houston, I mean, they have this just amazing core of young talent now where they've really crushed it in back-to-back -back drafts with general manager Rafael Stone. Uh, you know, just one year ago, they picked up Jalen Green, Alperin Shingun, Josh Christopher, and Usman Garuba. Three of three out of the four of those guys have already, you know, shown some flashes and there's a lot of potential there. Unfortunately, haven't been able to see too much out of Usman Garuba just yet, although he did show um, a lot of potential when he was playing in the Olympics. Oh my uh, God. Moments where I he was... He was the guy who was single, like, so he was drafted year before last, right? Yeah. So Garuba was the guy that I had, like, was super thirsty for because if you watch, you watch tape of him overseas, he looks like, like, he does Draymond stuff. He is a, he is crazy. He's, and he's I... He's His defensive be fun. potential is, is out of this world. Like, like yeah. Rafael Stone said that he is the best defender in the world, not in the NBA, which is high <laughs> praise. So, you know, and I, I know you're going to, I know you're going to, you're, you're going to gas. I love that. Absolutely. But 
you know, we just haven't gotten to see a whole ton of that in, you know, in Rockets red, in a Rockets jersey. Unfortunately, he's had a couple of different injuries that have kind of sidelined him here and there. Okay. So, you know, there's still some some hope there that he can translate. And, and this season is going to be really important to just kind of hopefully just get a glimpse at what he could be for the Houston Rockets. And then they crushed it again in this year's draft, mm-hmm. picking up Jabari Smith Jr. at number three, who was, you know, widely regarded for much of the pre-draft process as the consensus number one overall guy to have him fall to the Rockets at number three was really exciting for me personally because I always I had Jabari at the top of my draft board throughout the entire process and I was actually lowest on Paolo Bancaro throughout the entire pro- process kind of having I had him fourth on my board even lower than Jaden Ivy actually and then as we got closer to the draft, I realized I wasn't being as fair to Bancaro as I was to Ivy about some of maybe their defense, defensive deficiencies, albeit, you know, and so I kind of eased up a little bit. I had them both on the same tier, kind of, you know, three, one, three, three, two, or three, a three B if you will. But Jabari at number three was an, a really exciting pick. He's bringing a lot to the table, much more. I'm much more excited about his defense after watching him play in summer league and, also, Tari Eason, who looked like that he, dude. you know, looks that's like a, that, that's the kind talent. of pick that makes me mad. Like the the mid round picks or the because when was he picked? Like seventeenth? Am I making 17th, that Seventeenth, yeah, seventeenth. Okay, so he was a guy at summer league that just popped. I mean, he was everywhere because in summer league games, for anybody that didn't watch, like effort just makes a difference, and effort plus talent is kind of terrifying. And it was really, really something to watch Eason. And it's just like, this is a, this, it felt like, and I mean, this is a preposterous statement for August, but who's going to listen to this? Cause it's August. He feels like kind of like a steal of the draft type guy. Maybe I'm crazy. No, I, I really don't think you, and I, you know, I try, I try to be as objective as I possibly can when it comes to the Rockets without being too much of a homer. I know that I, I lean into my homer tendencies, just like everybody else does, sure. you know, within, within their fandoms, within the market that they cover, whatever it, it, you, you, you sit in an echo chamber enough of the same thoughts and opinions and voices, and you wind up kind of, you know, you, you have your own inherent biases that you try yeah. to get away from. But I do think that Tara Eason from a lot of draft experts, from a lot of the people that I've spoken to, they are incredibly high on his potential. He has these insane measurables. You know, we throw around the terminology, uh, you know, being able to guard one through five in the NBA. And I really think we we use that he phrase can. way yeah. too much. But Tari really can. Like he has the physical gifts to be that level of an impact player defensively. And we saw that on display in summer league. And just the offensive package that he already has and brings to the table. He's got areas of his game that he's got to refine. Like, he's not a perfect player by any stretch of the imagination. But there's so much to like about his game already. And then Ty Ty Washington, being able to scoop up a guy who was projected to go, again, another kind of Mm mid-tier, you know, first-round guy, you know, 15 to 20 range, give or take. Maybe his stock fell a little bit in the draft uh, due to some, you know, late-season injuries, due to some workouts that maybe didn't quite go his way. But for the Rockets to be able to scoop him up at pick 29 uh, by way of the, the Christian Wood Dallas Mavericks trade, uh, which is super fun in and of its own right. Uh, like to be able to get, to get a guy of that talent level who had, you know, the season that he had with Kentucky, really solid point guard prospect, great feel for the game already. It really does feel like this doesn't always happen in the draft, but it felt like the Rockets not only got the best possible player like BPA at every pick that they selected, but also the best possible fit at every single selection for what this team needs. And it feels like almost overnight, the Rockets have kind of shifted their identity 
to where this season, I think we're going to see them take a significant jump as far as just what they're able to actually achieve defensively on a night-to-night basis. They were the worst team in the NBA as far as defensive rating is concerned, uh, I think two years in a row, actually. And a big part of that is, right, that, you know, they've been – kind of a dumpster fire right in the in the in the post James Harden era trying to figure out what direction the organization is going to go ton of young talent trying to you know really mold that under Steven Silas former Dallas Mavericks assistant coach trying to harness some of that talent and that's really hard to do when you've got all these young guys the defensive schemes are going to look like you know a disaster at times but getting guys like Jabari and Tari who pride themselves on defense who can really you know, make their presence felt on that end of the basketball floor. And then having those guys kind of lead the charge defensively and having guys like Jalen Green, who have been so outwardly spoken about wanting to be a two-way force, wanting to have an impact defensively and and doing the right things, right? It's one thing to talk the talk. It's another to walk the walk. And Jalen made some significant strides with his defensive play this past season as a rookie. And as he grows, as he adds more weight to his frame, kind of fills out his NBA body, he's got the athletic the physical gifts to be an impact player as a perimeter defender in this in this league so i'm really optimistic about where this rockets team could be you know just a a, you know a couple years a few years removed from now as we watch these players kind of blossom into their own sure well there's a lot of things there that i want to follow up on so the first is steven silas um I really liked Steven Silas in Dallas. Uh, we didn't really get to know a lot of Carlisle assistants, but Silas seemed like a, a really fascinating future potential head coach. And now that he is one, it, you know, he went there, kind of hardened, kind of threw everybody under the bus. So it was really sort of hard to to judge that first part of the season. But what do you what do you think of him as a head coach? You know, if I'm being completely honest here, Kirk, I think he's still trying to find himself as a head coach, right? You know, that that first season, I've said this so many times, it's it's really tough to try and, you know, really gleam anything from that first season. Sure. Because again, transformational year, you've got all sorts of different things going on in the aftermath of the James Harden saga. So I don't want to hold that first year against Steven Silas. So the way that I look at it is I, I kind of count this past season really as his first year as a head coach. And even this past year, he had a lot of things, a lot of different, you know, variables that were having to be considered this past season. You had the whole, you know, John Walls being benched all season long so that KPJ can be given the keys to the offense and he's, <laughs> you know, transitioning to his role as the point guard. You've got Christian Wood and, and, you know, the uncertainty regarding his future with this Rockets organization as they kind of transition towards what is effectively now the Rockets' young core. And, and obviously now Christian Wood's no longer a part of that young core. Um, kind of bringing Jalen Green along, but also still having to balance how many reps you're giving to KPJ and, and his, you know, his ability to handle and run the offense. There were just a lot of things that he had to balance here in this second year in Houston. I'll be completely honest, though. I haven't seen anything that that completely blows me away to where I think, yeah, Silas yeah. is the guy. Like, he's, you know, he's incredible. I do think you have to give – I do think Rockets fans do not give him enough credit, him and the coaching staff, for the development of – these young players, I do think a lot of Rockets fans kind of just chalk it up to, oh, well, these players were going to develop regardless. Right, of they play, is. they're going to get better. And that yeah. was – the Mavericks offense went to sort of hell in a handbasket when, you know, relative to what it had been. Because 1920 offense for the Mavericks was really, really good. And he well, was – It was the best offense in NBA history to that point, right? He so was, and he was the driver. You know, Luca was the, the point guard, but he was the driver. And – so it's just I think I think you give that guy enough bites at the apple. I think he figures something out. Well, that that leads directly into my next question then, because you know the the kind of the man of the hour moving forward will continue to be um, Jalen Green, and 
it, it's it seemed that he had he had a little bit of a tough start, but he really you know he had some fun games down the stretch, like lot like a number of thirty point outings. He he shoots a, like a high volume of threes at a really you know remarkably effective clip. And I remember at one point in the year he was not shooting the three ball well at all. So to end the year at thirty six percent or whatever he finished at was it's pretty dang good. Um, what are like what are kind of year two expectations from? I mean, you mentioned defense a little bit, but I love young players and they talk about defense because it's like. Yeah. are you saying this or are you doing it <laughs> but what like what are what are your kind of hopes for for mr green in year two i think the important thing to know about Jalen green is he 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 lives the game of basketball lives and breathes it right there's certain guys that you know they do basketball because it's their day job right they, sure. you know it's 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 their nine to five they show up they do the work they go home and then they live their lives outside of basketball Jalen green lives and breathes and loves the game of basketball and has and sinks so much time into his craft be it film study be it working out in the gym skills training all of it he's got that fire to want to be the best and i think that is is the thing that ultimately gives you the competitive edge at the NBA level because there's there's so much talent in the NBA right but the the thing that differentiates that talent is do you have the drive to want to be the best and so right. Watching Jalen over the course of the, his rookie season and the strides that he took, the effort that he made, you know, especially again on the defensive side, right? Learning defensive schemes, learning how to anticipate certain things, getting used to what other NBA teams were running, recognizing certain things. There was one practice where I asked Steven Silas about Jalen's growth, you know, at, you know, as a defender. And he was like, yeah, like he's just he's picking up on concepts way faster than I really expected a rookie to where he would talk about how earlier in the season they'd be going through, you know, walkthroughs in practice and, and Jalen would be kind of confused as to, you know, OK, well, if, if this guy goes here, then I have to go here. I rotate this way. And then they, he was talking about a most, you know, their most recent walkthrough at that point in time. He was like Jalen nailed every single assignment, understanding where to be, how to rotate, when to move, like when to dig, sure. when to to cut when to cheat all these little nuances of being a good defender and so it's not just him talking about doing it it's him actually doing it and I do think that you know I'll get to the the expectations for next year in a second but you know I think there's a, a misconception about Jalen Green's season because a lot of you know NBA media kind of chalk it up to oh he had a you know he had a bad start to the season or a bad half of a season or he didn't turn it on until after all-star break he did have a bad start to the season but it's been much more overblown than what it actually was he had a bad 18 game stretch and then he was injured so across his 18 game stretch he averaged 14 points per game you know three boards two assists you know handful of turnovers uh and the efficiency was pretty bad it was 38 percent from the floor and 28 percent from three-point range but then when you go to the games immediately after he came back from his hamstring injury, which is literally just the rest of the season, you can chalk it up to a 49 game sample size. So much more than yeah. just half the season, right? Um, effectively, almost, you know, close to two thirds of the actual season. And his numbers actually start to look really good. Uh, really good. Eight, 18 and a half <laughs> points, 18 and a half points per game, 44% from the floor, 36 and a half percent from three, uh, three and a half rebounds, 2.7 assists. And he cut down the turnovers to just under two a game. So. And then like you like you alluded to, right, he had that insane tear at the end of the season, the final seven games where he averaged, you know, an insane, like it was like 28 or something points per contest. I'm not even going to try and uh, With nearly get basketball 40, Nearly 40% shooting for March and for March and for April. Like Yeah, from, from three. The, the, shoot, the three I mean, ball. February too, hell. The three it's ball like really came along, and that's what really helped to kind of start unlocking some stuff for him. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, worked – tirelessly with John Lucas, uh, one of the Rockets assistant coaches to, to refine that shot a little bit, make the release a little bit quicker. Um, he had a bit of a hitch in his shot a little bit, kind of like a small dip uh, where you bring the ball down. And he kind of eliminated that from, 
from his shot, from his gather, especially on catch and shoot opportunities. So he has put in a ton of work. And I do think that one of the things that we're going to, that I've kind of looked at is Anthony Edwards had a very similar rookie year to Jalen green, where they kind of were broke. They were both brought along a little slowly at first. And you know, Ant kind of struggled out of the gate, right? He was coming off the bench at first then gets injected into the starting lineup. And, and the, the wolves really brought him along kind of slowly and, you saw the benefit to bringing him along slowly when he hit that burst, you know, in the second half of his rookie season and then took that insane leap this past season in year two. And that's kind of how I'm expecting Jalen Green to mirror that growth is Jalen was brought along slowly, which I do think Steven Silas deserves credit for because Silas kind of forced Jalen to learn how to play off the ball by not just, Mm. you know, he could have just given him the rock and said, all right, go out there, you know, 40% 40% usage rate, get up 25 shots a game, and Rockets fans probably would have loved it, but his, effic- his efficiency would have sucked, and would he have really been learning how to be the best version of himself? Right. Probably not. And so I do think that's an area of development that Silas absolutely deserves credit for because now Jalen is both adept at you know, moving off the ball, finding those windows to kind of reposition himself offensively, which is a skill, you know, to be able to move without the basketball and find open spots on the floor and be in the right position for a kickout pass for a wide open opportunity to shoot a three or to then attack off the catch and, and you know, catch the defense sleeping or off guard. Uh, we saw that kind of happen as the season went on with Jalen. And then on the ball, his reads, his ability to operate out of the pick and roll, learning how and when to attack just got better and better as the season went along. It really kind of came to a head when Jalen had an overtime game against the Lakers here in Houston, where he just took over against LeBron James and the Lakers, which at the time, I mean, it's not much, right? Cause there was two, two lottery teams duking it out uh, in, in March, but uh, it was exciting to see Jalen kind of have that moment where he had, he had 19 points over the course of the fourth quarter and overtime and 10 straight points in overtime to put the Lakers away. And that was kind of his like, all right, I'm here. I'm Jalen Green. This was my like coming, you know, welcome to the NBA moment. Like I took over the game and to see him kind of have that growth and, and get to that moment in that game was some really exciting stuff. So I'm expecting again, a, a year to jump very similar to what we saw out of Anthony Edwards. I'm kind of projecting him to finish uh, at least, or I'm projecting averages of somewhere like 22 ish a game, I think is, is well within reach. If he's getting, you know, enough shot attempts, which I'm expecting him to have at least somewhere 18 to 20 something attempts per game. So 22 points a night, maybe, you know, handful of rebounds, handful of assists every single game. And if the three point percentage can stick, then he is going to be a nightmare to defend. Sure. Sure. Well, I think you, you sort of answered my question, what you're talking about. He he's pretty definitively a shooting guard. Is that, is that if I know we don't really like labeling players, but if you, if you had to, would you kind of consider him a shooting guard? Yeah. You know, right. It's, it's so tough with like the traditional, like five position mm-hmm. labels anymore. It's, it's much easier. I think to label somebody as like, would you, would he be a primary, a primary ball handler? Is he a mm-hmm. wing? Is he, you know, does he have the ability to be maybe an offensive engine? Like, a Luka Doncic type, right? And I, I don't think he, I don't want to say that he couldn't ever become that because I think he is kind of an underrated playmaker at this stage in his career. And maybe there's a point in time where, you know, sure. further down the line, the usage can be higher and you can just give him the ball and expect him to run an offense, you know, over the course of a 48 minute game. And, and maybe that is his role further down the line. But right now, no, I think he fits more in that you know, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine role where he's just, he's a two guard. He's a bucket getter. And it's not that he can't set up his own shot. He's just, he's not the guy that you want to run the offense through exclusively for, you know, 35, 
40 minutes plus a night the way that you do with Luca or with Trey or, you know, James well, Harden, LeBron. Part those of why I ask, part of why I ask though has to do with like, who's your ideal, like, what kind of guard, like, what kind of backcourt mate would you like for him? Because, you know, Kevin Porter is, is a, Mass fans are all, I remember there's certain sect of Mass fans like, oh, how come we didn't pick up this guy? And it's like, there's a lot, like, I don't, a lot of reasons. Kevin Porter Jr. is a tough guy to talk about. I don't really want to. So <laughs> what kind of backcourt mate would you like ideally prefer for him? You know, I think it's kind of tough. And I think it, this season is going to give us a lot more data points to work with on what is the best fit for Jalen Green moving forward because I, I'm not even entirely convinced at this point, even though they looked really good together to end the season last year after uh, kind of the veterans were shut down for the Rockets and it was very much definitively every single night for the final like seven or eight games. It was like, all right, KPJ and Jalen are options one and two period everybody else is is after them in the pecking order. And I think that was one of the issues last season is the Rockets had no definitive pecking order and that caused some issues okay. just you know stylistically trying to figure out what the direction was for the team on any given night um so i want i need to see more out of them because they are kind of they are kind of duplicative of one another right they're two dynamic scoring guards right. uh both have the ability to play make both have the ability to score you know at all three levels anywhere on the floor so is, is that the best complementary piece to essentially have a Jalen green clone playing next to him Maybe, maybe not. A big part of that depends on how much of the Rockets offense can actually be kind of anchored and kind of run through Alper and Shingun as kind of an offensive fulcrum being the passing big man that he is. Because it could be a really interesting offense, right? If you're running a chunk of it through Alper and Shingun and he's maybe your primary playmaker, or at least you kind of divide the primary primary One playmaker player. responsibilities between him and, and KPJ, then you've got two dynamic scoring guards and you mm -hmm. don't have necessarily a traditional point guard or floor general out there but it, it kind of maybe gives you a different look offensively than some of the other teams in the league so i don't necessarily have an, a, a proper answer for you yet kirk because I, I think we need to see a little bit more of that sample of what those three specifically look like playing alongside each other for a prolonged stretch uh, of the season and with you know adequate minutes for each of them because you got to remember Alper and Shingun was coming off the bench last season wasn't getting more than you know 20 minutes a night until the end of the season yep so depending on how that trio looks will give us an inkling into all right is KPJ the backcourt partner for Jalen Green for the foreseeable future or do the Rockets need to start shopping around and try and find a better more complimentary fit to him for the long term this is this has been good this is somehow we've managed I, I mean you talk about the Rockets for a living, but I don't. And so I somehow managed, we've somehow managed to do 25 minutes. This is great. Um, and I'm going to get yelled at for this, but I don't care. Uh, so now we got the, the kind of question that the Mavs fans are specifically thirsty about, because I will tell you, Mavs fans are super high on Christian Wood because Christian Wood might, might be one of the most exciting mixtape highlight players I've seen in a long time. <laughs> um, he looks like, like he looks like he might be one of the best players ever. If you only watch his highlight tape, I am ambivalent. Not that I think anything poorly about him. I just sort of want to come into the season with almost no expectations and be pleasantly surprised than assign a level to him. And frankly, you and I mentioned this before we started recording, but I said, I think the Mavericks need him to be good for the Mavericks to hope to go somewhere. And I just sort of wanted your opinion on the, the trade and as well as sort of how you think he might fit. Well, first off, I do have to apologize to Mavericks fans for the loss of one Boban Marjanovic. I know that was a hard pill to swallow. We will take care of him here in Houston if he uh, remains a member of the Houston Rockets. I, I do bet he does. He's a I culture he guy. 
I think he does. I think he's going to stick around. I don't think he's going to be like, you know, he's not going to be part of the rotation or anything. Nah. He'll just, you know, but he'll be the, the good vibes guy on the bench um, for sure. So I, I'm fully expecting him to stick around. I don't think anybody else from the, from the trade is going to make it. I think they're all going to get waived. But as far as Christian Wood is concerned, I was much... I was much more excited about what his future would look like in Dallas when I thought that Jalen Brunson would also be returning to that Mavericks core because it was like, all right, cool. You're fresh off of a Western Conference Finals run and Jalen Brunson, you know, borderline all-star caliber season. You're adding Christian Wood and Tim Hardaway Jr. to a core that just came out of the Western Conference Finals. That's a really, you're adding two very good rotation pieces to a core that just did that, right? And maybe came up, you know, came up a little short against the Warriors, but that's okay, right? Luke is still incredibly young. You've got all the time in the world to be a competitive basketball team. So once the Mavericks lost Brunson, I immediately thought, oh man, because where I think the issue starts to stem with Christian Wood is, I think he has almost the perfect skill set to be the third banana, but asking him to be your second best player, which I think at this point is almost a necessity for this Mavericks team to try and get back to where they were this past season. That's where I think you're going to run into some frustrations with him. Not that he doesn't have the skill to maybe put up the numbers that you need as your second best player. And especially playing alongside Luca, I think he's going to get some of the easiest opportunities of his career. We only had a three game sample size of Christian Wood playing with James Harden. That's it. That's all we got before James Harden, like mentally checked out of the Houston Rockets and just completely gave up on the team. But in those three games, Christian Wood looked absurd playing with a guy that has that much gravity in the pick and roll. uh, You know, a dynamic guy who can be a rim runner, who can pick and pop, who can do all these different things offensively. Luca is going to make him look insane on offense. The frustrating thing about Christian Wood is he doesn't give you, and this was where I, I, I was like, all right, Mavs fans have clearly not watched any film on Christian Wood defensively. He is not a, he is not a rim protecting big. He is not a shot blocker. He is not a good defensive big man whatsoever. He is a really atrocious interior defender. So he is not going to anchor the paint whatsoever. He is not a big like that at all. However, He is, where I do want to give him some of his flowers, he's a very capable switch defender. You put him out on the perimeter, he can keep up with smaller, faster players on the perimeter. He's light on his feet. He moves his feet well, good lateral quickness. He can keep up with smaller players, guards, and wings on the perimeter just fine. His issues are when you throw him at the five spot or at the four against another bigger four, and he will get abused down low, and he will get thrown around and ragdolled a little bit by some of the bigger centers in the NBA. Now, how often is that truly an issue, you know, against certain teams, right? If he's going up against Jokic or Embiid or a Steven Adams type, yeah, you're going to be a little frustrated at times. But how many teams really have a a big that's, you know, a 20, 25-minute-plus part of their rotation that's really going to, you know, be able to ragdoll him like that on, you know, on a frequent recurring basis not too many teams out of the league. I'd say maybe five to 10 teams out of the league have a guy like that. That's part of their rotation uh, on a, on any given night. So for me, if Christian Wood can be, can play the four in Dallas and somebody else can anchor that five spot, maybe it's McGee, maybe it's Dwight Powell. Maybe they have somebody, you know, just somebody else alongside him so that he doesn't have that burden defensively of being the five on the floor, then things could work out really well. But if he's playing the five for his, for long stretches of games, you will become very frustrated with his defensive performance and at times his defensive effort. So I that, will that say was my though, main question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. You, you, you got to take it with a grain of salt though, because again, I do think there's something to be said for the fact that two years in a row, he was playing on the worst team in the NBA. 
right? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, a change of scenery I always thought could do wonders for Christian Wood. You know, think about if you're playing on a team that's playing for absolutely nothing, right? You know you're, you're, you're you know, going to be a lottery team. You know you're not bound to do anything of any relevance anywhere. Playing on a team that actually has aspirations to be at, uh, you know, a top-seeded playoff team, a championship aspirations with a true alpha dog in Luka Doncic and an, and an alpha-level coach in Jason, Jason Kidd, somebody who can really command the respect of that entire locker room. Not to say that Steven Silas can't do that, but right, Steven Silas is still very much, you know, in the early years of his head coaching journey. Whereas Jason Kidd, you know, long tenured NBA player, right, Hall of Famer, all like he's, you know, he's going to be, he's able to kind of command the respect of whoever he wants when he walks into the room with somebody. Having two guys like that to kind of keep Christian Wood in check, put him in his lane and say, hey, this is your box. You stay in here and you do this, right? You don't bring the ball up the court. You're not running point. You're not isoing every other possession. You're going to do what we want you to do. You're going to pick and pop. You're going to hit threes. You're going to rim run. You're going to finish. And hey, we need you to play good defense, right? And I think that's something that Jason Kidd deserves a lot of credit for from this past season, right? Is he got the Mavericks to buy into a defensive scheme that worked really, really well, right? They were... Mm -hmm. You know, they were a def they were a defensive minded team for two thirds of the season with the same the guys that were not that good at defense. Like they were like a 20th ranked defense the year before, and they finished last season somewhere between eight and 10. And for a while, they're really good. And I, it, it kid seems to be really about effort. That's why the effort question was was kind of on the forefront of my mind, because, you know, Dwight Powell's a tremendously terrible defender the same way you described Wood, but he made it work. And so. It's about, you know, playoffs is a bit of a different question, but for regular season, it's just about kind of making things work from night well, to night. So, so, right. So much of defense is just want to, yeah. right? So much of defense is yeah. just, do you want to play good defense? Even if you don't have, you know, the physicals that another player may have or the size or the speed or the height, if you just try a little harder on defense, you can make an impact or at least not be a net negative on the defensive end. And so much of that is about buy-in and want to. And now that Christian Wood has something worth playing for right now that he's not just out there to get his own numbers, he's still an incredibly talented, skilled player. And, and I am still cautiously optimistic that this trade will work out really, really well for Dallas. Because, again, I think that giving him a partner in crime like Luka Doncic, right, somebody to play off of that is that caliber of player. He's going to get a ton of easy looks offensively, and that's going to allow him to buy into the role that they need him to play to be successful on the defensive end of the floor. That's very interesting. I had a uh, speaking with somebody earlier who just wondered if the Mavericks traded one kind of mercurial big and Chris Porzingis and another for Christian Wood because the touches thing is just if you play with Luca, you're just your touches will come, but they're not going to. It's it's dicey, and I. I you're not going to get touches on your on your terms you're going to get touches on lucas <laughs> right. terms like I, if you play with anybody like I've that had, you play with, like yeah I, i'm sure you had this happen to you where it's just like i found these and they're, i'm sure y'all are lovely people who have christian wood stan fan accounts um already letting me know how the world operates with christian wood and i'm just like i don't know if you're going to be very happy but you know what luca there was a, a three-point stat where it's like number like guys who had the top five um mostly open i think it was and and three mavs were in the top five and it's because of luca so it's like this guy has a real opportunity to just be he he can do like very minimal straightforward things while his box score will look incredible so it's it, it might not be the highlight stuff he's hoped for in years past but i'm I know you, you're and kinda... it's, it's all it's always tough, right? Because you it like look and to, to draw a parallel here, 
I mean, a few years back, right, when James Harden and Dwight Howard were teammates in Houston, the reason that pairing didn't work out is because Dwight could not keep his ego in check, and he wanted to be the guy posting up and, you know, because he had Shaq chirping in his ear every other night on Inside the NBA saying, you're not a real big if you're not posting up and doing X, Y, Z. So if Wood can buy into what his role is alongside Luka, he's going to put up 25 and 12 every single night, and he's going to look insane doing it. But he has to buy into that, right? He can't be the Christian Wood that wants to ISO every other possession. He can't be the Christian Wood that's a ball stopper at times offensively. And again, I'm optimistic that now having the chance to play for something of significance will do that for him because he's never had that chance in his career, right? He's been a journeyman. He's had to fight and claw and grind to get his recognition as the talent that he is. And he finally got that chance with the Rockets. And he was supposed to be third banana behind James Harden and Russell Westbrook. That's why the Rockets got him. And suddenly that got shifted overnight, seemingly 10 games, nine games into the season where suddenly he's 25 years old. He's putting up 20 and 10 and Rockets fans needed something, anything to latch onto in the post James Harden era. And that was in a way kind of unfair to Christian Wood because that's not who he is. He's not a franchise guy. He's not your number one option. He's maybe not even your number two option, but he is a talented big who has two way big man potential Again, the interior defense is a little sketch, but, you know, has potential there. And I really am, you know, interested to see how it all plays out in Dallas for sure. Well, it's been great, man. Thanks for thanks for taking more time than I, I I'm sorry. We've, we've gone longer. This has been fun. Um, no, dude, I've, I've completely enjoyed the conversation. I'm, I'm always down to talk anything, you know, especially Rockets related hoops, but, you know, NBA related hoops, anything, you know, as you know, I might have to go wash my mouth out after this because I've, I've said the word Dallas too many times <laughs> in one sitting for my liking. But no, I, I have to take one pot shot at Dallas while I'm here. Sure. Otherwise, otherwise, my Houston fans are going to get mad at me. So that's fine. No, I mean, uh, like part I, I like like I. Nick and Isaac give me grief all the time because I kind of hate the team as much as I love the team. And, uh, you know, it happens. Well, um, I'm going to post all the stuff to Fall Jackson in the show notes. Does Locked On Rockets. Does a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff, as I found out about 15 minutes before the show. Um, though I think I knew that anyways. Um, I got to meet Jackson at Summer League via our mutual friend and uh, inter- internet uh, uh, internet uh, super wonderful troll, Matt Moore um and it's uh this has been great i'm glad we got to hook up uh we'll probably talk um you know i'd like to talk closer you know talk in season so yeah thanks for hanging out and guys you can we'll see how many more shows i get recorded this is probably going to go up august 10th um i will be in the middle of the ocean uh which sounds uh so sorry <laughs> it sounds kind of uh, ominous if you put it that way so i, I you know i hope it's a good no internet in access I've not not had internet access in like 12 years. So I'm either going to go insane or be the happiest person alive. There's no middle ground. All right, guys. It's it. been Kirk, Kirk Henderson and Jackson. Uh, we have had fun. And this has been the Mavs Moneyball podcast. Kirk, your enthusiasm. Please rate and review and subscribe and do all that stuff. But it's August. So if you're listening to basketball stuff in August, you're a hardcore fan. Everybody have a good day.